to the people. Welcome back. We're on the move from the nonsense to the good sense. This is Mike Africa Jr. And this is my podcast where we illuminate the struggles of the people, inform the uninformed and give you nothing but the truth. On the move is here to disrupt the system and spark a global revolutionary change. It changes what we need. Like Sam Cook said, a change is going to come. But like Gandhi said, you got to be the change you want to see in the world. And even though Gandhi wasn't perfect, he said something that was true. And when the power of truth is present, you better respect it. So check this out. Today is a really good day. I am rejoined by two of the most important people in the world to me. My parents, mom and dad, welcome back to the show. How you guys feeling? Hey, I'm doing okay. Doing pretty good, Ted. Great, great. Great, great, great. Dad, you sound great? You feel great? I feel great. <laughs> He's sleepy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I saw y'all taking a little nap over there. Yeah. Yeah, it's all good. You got to catch those, catch those E's when you can sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so... We got some good stuff to talk about, some really exciting news, and we're going to work it with Gimme 3. We get the bonus. So this week, I went out to Oakland, California, and I met up with Frederica Newton, and the Black Panther Party was unveiling the new Huey P. Newton bust on Dr. Huey P. Newton Boulevard. Wow. It was really cool. Wow. I didn't know there was a Huey P. Newton Boulevard. I didn't either wow. until I got there and saw it. And you know, mm. oh, sh- I didn't even t- take a picture of it. But I took a picture of the Black Panther Party Museum that is right down the street and also on Huey P. Newton Boulevard. Wow. Hmm. It was is, a really, really important day. That is great. But when I got there, I saw her. She was, you know, she was, she had her, she had her braids in and she was like standing next to the bus. She's really tall too. Like I didn't realize that she was going to be like, not not far from my height, right? But it was umbrellas everywhere because it was raining like crazy. I don't know. They said I brought the rain in because when I got there, it was like raining like seven o'clock in the morning until like late that night. We were standing there in this storm, windy rain, hundreds of people undeterred. She pulls back the Black Panther Party uh, flag that they had draped over it to cover it. So right? who's she? Who, who uh, Frederica Newton. And oh. then they pulled it back and it was just beautiful like bust, wow. right, of Dr. Huey P. Newton. And it was just really, like, really powerful to see it, but, like, the symbolism of it, mm-hmm. right? It was just amazing. And and then while, while while we're there, like, you know, Fred Hampton Jr., he's there. I didn't even know he was going to be there. And Jamal, Mumia's uh, mm-hmm. grandson, he was mm-hmm. there. I didn't know he was going to be there. Mm-hmm. Just ran into a lot of cool people. Wow. We're going to talk about that a little later. Like, maybe I'll get her back on the show and start talking about that to go mm-hmm. more in detail. But, yeah, anyway. So that that was one really cool thing that happened. That's with great. Me. Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's really nice. <laughs> really nice. I got pictures of it. Check out the Instagram. For, for the people out there who want to see um, what it looks like, hit me up on Instagram at Mike Africa Jr. And you get a chance to see it. And um, also go to Huey P. Newton Foundation on Instagram and you'll get a chance to see some of the pictures and the people there, the, the hundreds of people and the hundred plus Panthers mm. that were there. Like it was really powerful. And they were very gracious. Like, I'm not even a panther, <laughs> but they treated me like family. You know what I mean? So that felt really good, too. Everybody was so warm and and, and inviting. And, and, and they were like, yo, when are you going to come back? And I was like, we're going to have to hook it up because this was a really special thing that I want to continue to be a part of. Yeah, that's movement. the way it's supposed to be in the movement, yep. man, right? Yeah. The movement is family. It's supposed to be, yeah. That's the way it's supposed to be. There you go. So give me two. Ladies first. Ladies first. Come on, mama. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Pull the mic a little closer. <laughs> All right. 
Okay, I wanted your dad to go first because he it was his trip. Okay, how, ladies' choice. How, how about that? Ladies' choice. Dad, dad first. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. While well, the same time you went out west, uh, we went uh, west ourselves, I guess. Yeah, the western PA. Uh huh. Though, no, uh, to Pittsburgh. Uh huh. Uh, where I had a friend. Uh, I have a friend that I met at Huntington Prison while I was there. Uh, and he's been home since, uh, he did 12 years. He's uh, been home since 2000, I mean, excuse me, since 1992. Uh-huh. And uh, we're working on a project. Uh-huh. You know, we're um, looking up some folks that... Um, don't tell it, don't give it away now. <laughs> but you're you're working on a project, yeah. And you anyway, got a chance to see your right, friend. I got a chance to see my friend and catch up with him. We stay in touch, you know. It's the first time I seen him since the wedding, actually. Uh huh. Because he came down there for that, and um, you know, he's been doing some really, you know, some really good things, man. In terms of business, mm-hmm. you know, he started. Uh, he got out in '92, making ten bucks an hour. Working, uh, putting in gas lines, you know, for the gas for the gas company. Uh-huh. Yeah, and uh, within eight. within eight years, he started his own business. You uh-huh. know, and he started with one truck. Yeah, and, and now he has over uh-huh. seventy vehicles. Now he got a fleet fleets. He has fleets. He has garages. He has several businesses. That one company that he started with one truck. Now he has over a hundred employees. Wow. And, um, yeah, man, he pays them real, really nice wages, and uh, 40% of them are minorities. He hires, makes sure he makes an, you know, it's not much of an effort because he just, you know, try to get good people. Mm-hmm. But a lot of them happen to be ex-convicts. That's really special. Yeah, so he opened up his home to us. He wasn't even staying there. He just gave us his home. His, his other home, home huh? Is, is, do you have a lot of friends that that are doing good like that that you stay in touch with? I have quite a few, actually. You know, but before we go go too far into this, give me three, mom. What you got? Something that made you feel good? Because because I didn't do the whole introduction of give me two, mm-hmm. but you know what it is. People know what it is. People they think all we do is protest and all of that, but we got good things going on in our lives. Yeah, and coming off of your dad, um, the trip that was my give me. One, because along with that, while we were in Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. I went to see some of my friends who are also up there and who are also, I befriended at uh, Cambridge and like six of them. And uh-huh. we all had lunch together. It was awesome. Like they're doing so good. They've been out 20 years. Some of them been out 10. Some of them been out eight years. Some of them just got out. One of the uh, lifers, in fact, she just got out eight months. And in eight months' time, she has her own apartment. She has two jobs. Mm. And one of them, she, she works. two jobs. She got two jobs. And one of them, she works in construction. Wow. <laughs> I got a picture of her with a hard hat on. And she works <laughs> in construction. She's just a go-getter. She never gave up. That's my slogan. The never one that, give up. Yep. And every last one of them that we did, you know, that we did the work with, that's what they said. The um, key to the success that they have is never giving up. And it just felt so good just seeing them all. I mean, it's just awesome what they're doing. Like they open up programs, halfway houses for for women and men. 
And if the people that are coming out trying to help them with drug addiction, trying to point them in the right direction of getting a job and just helping them, those are two of the women that were there that they're doing that together. And it's just so, Let's Get Free is working with them from Pittsburgh. Etta, she was there. It, it was just really awesome to have that reunion. And we're going to be doing some more work with them too. So oh, that was, that feels good. amazing. And, and she's uh, been at it for over 20 years. Etta, yeah. That, no, not to, Edda, the, the one that... Oh, that, uh, uh, Rana, yeah. Rana, Rana, yeah. Rana, her name's Rana? Her name is Rana Davis uh, Moore. Rana Davis? Moore. Rana Davis Moore is her name. And then when the Moore one... Moore Davises. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And then when the one girl got out, she'd been out 10 years, she joined her and they work together now. So it's it's been just an awesome, just they're all doing really good. And she was talking about it while she was still in prison. Talking about oh, doing that work while she was in prison. While she was still in she prison. had the she had the vision, yeah. yeah. And then she started putting it into she action. She put it into action. And yeah. She never gave up. Never gave up. Wow, we might be related. The vision thing, the never giving up thing, <laughs> mm-hmm. and the Davis thing. Look at that. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that y'all got to experience that. Y'all got to see it, and you know, uh, <laughs> I'm sure you don't get homesick from prison, but I'm sure you do miss your friends. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, we oh, met yeah. a lot of good people, man. Yeah. And we talked yeah, about the good times people. we had. In while we were there, you know what I mean? But of course, we'd rather be here, but yeah. Well, you know, that brings me to this conversation that uh, we wanted to talk about, right? This thing about hope. I personally feel that like people use different things to motivate them and to keep themselves inspired, right? And hope is a big, is a big, big word. And um, probably before... Y'all came home and before some of the other political prisoners came home, I looked, I always looked at hope a a certain way. Like to me, hope is nothing more than just like people that don't have the power to make the thing happen have, right? It's kind of like faith. Like you don't know what's going to happen. You can't control what's going to happen. It's something that you, you have to hold on to in your mind because you can't, you're powerless to, to, to make the change that you need. I don't know. People that are hungry that have a refrigerator full of food, they don't hope to get a sandwich. They just go make a sandwich. Right? They just eat. But people that are in prison, they hope to be free one day because they don't have the power to free themselves. It brings me to this thing that happened that's really important to me and to the activism activist community. We learned today or yesterday that a longtime political prisoner, he, he's been in prison for uh, over 50 years. Russell Maroon Schultz was um, granted compassionate release. And as of right now, he is on his way home from prison. I talked to his son and I talked to his daughters. And <laughs> the hope to be free and then the actual freedom that comes, right? For a person that's just coming home from prison after all that time, what does hope even feel like from prison? You know what I'm saying? Like when you're mm-hmm. in prison for that long, what did that, what does that look like from prison, mom? Like just hoping. That was a hard word for me to think about, digest, and to really try to analyze it and put it into words because I'm thinking hope that wasn't an easy word to really um to figure out because hope almost was like like what is it is it's so is it a wish is it a uh is it a thought is it just an uh a, a, like an empty 
physical thing. I mean, that's kind of how it felt to me. When I think about hope, I think about a wish, like something that I want to happen. Something that I want to happen, whether it be good or bad, you know, like people that. What do you mean, whether it be well, good or bad? Well, some people hope for for bad things. Some people, well, I ain't going to say bad things. Oh, some people right. hope for people that, okay, you did me wrong. You know, you honking your horn at me. You know, I want to get out and knock you in the head. You know, I hope I get it, get the chance. So it's like. <laughs> <Misery. Like, Yep. laughs> Mom, you've been driving. You've been driving. Misery. Yep. <laughs> But yeah, it's like so. Hope is like a um, a wish of something, and and your um, either imagination, like like I'm hoping for this, I'm wishing for this, I'm wanting this to happen for me. That's why I always felt it like it was for people who didn't have power, because it's a wish. I can see what you mean, right? But why is it such an important thing? to think about. I think it's important though because holding on to something that you really want and you you really 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 want whether you get it or not, it can take you far. It can take you far. I can tell you from my own experience. My own experience was I was facing 100 years in prison. I didn't know what was going to happen. At the beginning I thought we was getting out, you know, really quick because I had not killed nobody and well the whole story However, after time went by and, you know, we were sentenced to 100 years, time went by, years went by, a decade went by, two decades went by, three decades went by. So I'm thinking, wow, are we we really going to get out of here? What's going to happen? Because they just, the parole board kept denying our release. So, you you know, you start thinking a little differently, like, wait a minute, this this wasn't what I was thinking was going to happen. So, but faith kept me going because I have seen so many things that seemed impossible that happened um, that didn't seem like or felt like it could happen, happen. So that gave me faith and gave me something to hold on to. And hope, as you said, is almost kind of like a sort of faith or like a wish. And that's what I did. I just delved into anything that I could do that's going to keep my mind occupied, you know, whatever work I could get, whatever program I could get in, whatever whatever, re-entry, whatever I could get into to keep my mind occupied and just kept that going and just kept it going and just put one foot in front of the other. I took chunks of time. I didn't do one day at a time like people said. It was too hard. I took my time and put it into chunks where I could do three years of a program or two years of a program. That doesn't seem like hope as much, I guess, to me. But that, I mean, I guess maybe my idea of hope is just different. Was that what... what was that what it was like for you, Dad? Like, was hope an important thing? And did you use it that same kind of way? You know, you always hope to get helped. You know, you hope that all your efforts were not in vain. You hope that you'll get to see and feel and frolic with your children at some point, no matter how old they are. Mm. or how old you are <laughs> okay you know and you you hope that you're not consumed with bitterness that it took so long you know you're just grateful that you were given an opportunity to get out it is it is wonderful news about maroon man it is it's, you know is so maroon you know he has stage 4 cancer and when I saw his son come out of the courtroom, by the way, for the people out there 
who don't know Russell Schultz the third and Sharon and Teresa and I we we've known each other for decades I saw the videos that um hate five six um did to see Russell come out of the courtroom even he knows that his father has stage four cancer and he knows that it's only a matter of time but the happiness that I saw in Russell's junior uh the third face when he came out and when I talked to his sisters about about it they were very very excited and hopeful that they got that they get a chance to see their father at home that he gets to see his family at home despite the fact that he has less than a month that they're expecting and sure they'll take you know Whatever. That's why, you know, the the whole thing about hope you're not consumed by other emotions. You know, you're just so overwhelmed to be home and be amongst your um, people that love you and respect you, you know, and treat you in a manner, you know, that everyone would like to be treated. Just overwhelms you, man. So you don't even, uh, you're not even thinking about... um, things that um, people who may fight not to release you or to see you released may be fearing that, you know, okay, well, you know, I don't want to put my career or reputation on the line to let someone go who other people may um, use as something to, you know, make sure they are not reelected or something or put in a position to whatever, you know. On that note, earlier we talked about people that has had been in prison for years and they've been home for years and they are positive contributing members of society well see that's another thing uh even his release his their release and aim be caused like you said compassionate release right so they feel he's near his end so they're releasing but if they paid any attention to that brother and what he was doing for years, you know, and the mentoring he was doing of folks uh, that came through. And listen, man, he, he won a suit because he had been in the hole for 30 years, 30 something years. And solitary confinement? And solitary confinement, yes. And as a result of the lawsuit, he, they were awarded him $100,000, uh-huh. which was astounding. You know, because every, you know, anybody would have just been grateful to get out of there, out Uh of the hole, you know, not be in a situation. Um, Whereas even more dehumanizing than being in prison itself, you know. But uh, he got that $100,000 and he gave it away. He gave it away to who? He gave it away to prisoners, to groups out in the street that was doing positive work in the community, to you know, people he thought would do, you know, some good for some other people. You know, that's when the tablets first came out in the jail, right? Uh-huh. So he bought dozens of people tablets so they commu- so that they could communicate with their families um, and keep in touch with, you know, and he was always talking to people about being, you know, a responsible person and, you know, a responsible uh, father, you know, and these are some of the talks we had with each other, man. And, you know, he's such a a really good influence, man. Ask Ghani. 
You know, they talk all the time, and, you know, you see the kind of work Ghani's doing. So he was a really positive influence, man. So, you know, when you talk about people stopping and having a different take on how violence is uh, besetting our neighborhoods and communities and why you should stop, you know, and how important it is, how urgent it is to, you know, um, heal and uh, as a community, you know, as people, he would have been a very, very positive influence, man, with something like that. Very positive because he was the same way in prison and the effect that he had when people around him, they may have thought he would have been, you know, just radicalizing people, but no. Well, the radical, the radicalness. The, violence that they may have attached to it uh-huh you know his was thinking for a change certainly right and, and that was the radical right, right. thought right because it radically changed people who were that way into being good people that now praise him for encouraging them to make that change and they are they came home and they Salim and Ghani and a whole lot of other people oh. came home and they hit the ground sprinting right mm-hmm and sprinting to help other people. To help other people. And a lot of them trying to control. I see them on TV. With, uh, I don't know who they are, but I see them on TV. And they're like out in the streets with uh, Krasner. And they're talking about, you know, trying to stop the gun violence and stop trying to stop the um, black on black crime. And, you know, people trying to just um, help help the neighborhoods. And I, I'll hear Mike say, I know that guy. I know who that is. That, <laughs> you know, so you want to see him on TV? Yep. Recognize him? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, you know, so that's why I said, you know, you don't let, want to let the other side consume you because you know the kind of person he is and you know the kind of uh, effect he would have had for years on our communities because of the respect he garnered. And it's great to have him home. It's a shame that he didn't have more time home. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, and we feel the same way, obviously, about our folks and, you know, particularly Chuck, you know, when we're. Right. Thinking about things like that. Did so, Chuck know Maroon? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they spent, you know, it was, you know, years together in the hole. And mm. when you have hope, and when you're talking about hope and determination, your mom mentioned what she'd do and what she'd attached hope to. You know, you have to attach your determination to it, you know, not just like a wish, but something you're determined to make these things happen. You hope that they happen, sure. Mm-hmm. You know, when they told Chuck that he couldn't have paper, you, you don't have access because you're in a hole. You don't have access to legal books and paper and all this, you know. So on special diets, they would pass out your meal in a paper bag. Chuck filed a suit on a paper bag. <laughs> he filed a lawsuit. He filed court. a lawsuit on a paper bag and request slips. What's a, what? Request slips is request to staff that, you know, you're denying me whatever. So, so, the, so uh, <laughs> hold, hold up, wait, wait, wait. This is going over a lot of people's heads, I'm sure. It's going over mine. Yeah. Let me just let me just get this straight. Okay, they bring you a special diet in a brown paper bag? Like, brown paper bag. All right. And a request slip is a, a slip that the prison provides you if you want to ask for something to yeah um, right i like to see i request some legal books because i'm working on my case anything you want from the prison 
you get on request slip. If you want a bar of soap and you're in prison, I need a bar of soap. Now, that's not how it works. They don't do that. But I need whatever you need. You put it, write it on that request slip. You send it into staff and they will either get back with you on the request or in person or, okay. or not. So now what you're saying is they refuse to give Chuck paper because he was in the hole. They refused to give Chuck paper because he was Chuck. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and he might have been sounding about something else. So if he's confronting them about something else, they're just going to try to limit and restrict him to as much as they can to punish right. him. And they, they may not have even given him the request slips. You know, other guys, you know, may have requested request slips and they, they gave it to them. And Chuck got it passed to him. But he didn't have any paper. And he didn't have any writing utensils. And so he was, you know, he wanted to file a suit about that. <laughs> so he wrote he wrote all of his legal information on a paper bag and request slips and filed it. And did he win, you said? And he won. And he won. <laughs> <laughs> and he won. A lawsuit. He filed a case. A lawsuit. On a brown paper on bag. On a brown paper you know bag and request slips. I, okay. I don't know what prison officials are like, but I kind of have to imagine that they gave him some points just because he filed it on the paper bag. <laughs> well, see, it don't see when he mailed that, it just goes through the mail system. It don't go through the staff anymore. Uh-huh. He filed it. He so put whoever it, picked it up. He, no, he put it in an envelope and mailed it. The judge seen it or the magistrate was the first one to see it because it went through the mail system. Let's just take a step back for a second. Yeah. <laughs> let's just imagine for a minute let's close our eyes and just imagine for a second what if the magistrate what was the response of the magistrate when they saw this brown paper bag and his legal <laughs> I can only imagine because of, you know but when he got it and opened it and it's a paper bag and you know probably some grease stains on it and everything <laughs> he got it that's what you call never giving up hope Chuck. right and, and he won several cases you know, the the one where we're in the hole for refusing the TB shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they kept us in for a year. And they said they were keeping us in there indefinitely until we took that shot. And Chuck filed a suit about it. And the uh, judge's response was, he's right. You can't keep them, you know, so, so what? You know, if he don't want to take the shot, that's. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So they, they agreed with him and said, OK, well, they set a time on it they said okay well one year and chuck had like two weeks left mm. you know so now i guess that's like to to, to thwart the repercussions of them having violated his rights or whatever you know but he, yeah he won a case well let me just say one thing about hope 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 is like and all the girls and including mike's friend when we went to pittsburgh they the one thing they all said was what kept them and what is keeping them going down and what their accomplishments and success was just never giving up, never giving up hope. And hope to me is like almost like music. Music. Yes. A person is, uh, they're just going about their daily life in prison. Okay. And you just, you just go through the norm and you have all this time. And somebody says to you, well, you know what? They just now overturned this ruling. The Supreme Court just overturned this ruling. And they're saying that if you were sentenced at the age of 17, then you have a right to be able to appeal it and to be able to get out. 
and the hope is there. Oh, my God, this might be a chance for me. So the hope is there. So music is kind of like the same way. You go along your routine and you may be doing some exercises. And then all of a sudden you hear the music. You be like, oh, shoot. Yeah, like, let's get it. Because it's like a motivation is what it is. It's like a motivational spirit, a motivational feeling of um, towards something that you really want to make you feel happy. That's how I feel about hope. It's like. You know what I like in hope too? Comfort food. It feels good to think about, to have, right? Mm-hmm. And it can be good for your soul. Yeah. But dealing with it the wrong way can take you out. I don't know. Throughout my life, for me, hope has been like depressing a little bit. Mm. You know? Because for me, it's like, ain't nobody coming to save you. And if you get something, be grateful for it. But hope, there's too many times where I hoped and it didn't work. So it's like, you know what? Fuck hope. So hope let you down. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's that comfort food. It's like, yeah, it's good for you. But man, that shit give me blood pressure issues. Mm-hmm. So yeah. like, so that's, that's kind of how it felt for me. Yeah. I think hope has to be mixed with determination. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, that. it's not just a thing that you're, like you mentioned earlier, like faith. It's not a thing where you're just praying for. It's something that you're, along with uh, the thought you have, like freedom. Mm-hmm. You know, you're doing things. You're putting things in motion to make that happen as well. You know, you're not just resting Okay, oh, I hope this is going to happen. Not doing anything about it yourself. Not doing anything to make it happen. Just yeah. praying somebody makes right. it happen for you. And for right. sure, I that's hope one day. I hope one day. And that's is, for sure what I did didn't you know, do. I didn't yeah. just sit back and say I hope this happens and hope anything I could get my hands on and get my feet into. I got into yeah. it to to try to make it happen. I really like that. I I, I really really uh, appreciate that. Hope has to be has to be mixed. Mm. It it has to be effort behind it. To, to achieve what it is you're hoping for. And I think that makes it a lot sweeter too. Yeah, so you reach out, you put out feelers, some things you want, right? You're, you're in prison. And you want, you know you need certain particular help. You know, you reached out to so- someone and maybe they had an idea and then they'll, they'll like downplay it, man, man, look, man, this, this is not gonna work. And there's, you know, and if you listen to that person, even though he's in that field, and you're not, say you're like, no, come on now, why not? You know, you're always saying, why not? Won't you just try this? Mm-hmm. You know, and if he don't want to do it, try him or her. You know, if we had someone like this, you know, this bulldog, um, then finally, you know, we just start trying to do it ourselves with other people's help. It works out. It works out, you know. So you just don't stop, man. We have no choice but to keep on going. Mm-hmm. And no choice, you know. So what did, what did you do to keep you hopeful, like that kept your hope alive? Faces. What do you mean faces? I wanted to see the, those faces outside the walls. No, I'm saying what did you do to keep keep your Oh, that was it? That was it. Just make it. Just, yeah, I wanted to. Listen, man, I didn't want to. So many people that I knew and loved you know, had passed away while we were in prison, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm talking about, 
outside, of course, you know, my parents and Debbie's parents and um, my siblings and all, but, you know, people I've met in prison, you know, mm-hmm. that I loved. You know, these guys, man, I had been with them. Longer than you were with other people. Yeah, yeah longer, longer than I had been on the street. Right. I was only on the street for 22 years. I was in prison for 40. And some of these guys I've known the whole time I was there. Mm-hmm. You know, and kept in touch. Like my friend that we went up to see in Pittsburgh. Uh, so those things just uh, keeps that motivation going. You know, you don't want to be, you know, it's almost like they've won if you don't get out. Mm-hmm. You know, when people want to see you just, you know, like the the one uh, cop said, you know, we think that even after they die, their corpses should stay in the prison cell. You know, so it feels, it would almost feel like if you did die in some measure, they won. Mm-hmm. You so know? It's just keeping up the fight and the resistance and yeah, just man, not, it's, yeah. So you you talked about that too, mom, like um, the things you had to do to keep yourself going. But what was it that you did to keep yourself hopeful? The hope that kept me going was really it's almost like a hole that was in my chest and my heart. And all I could do was think about being home with y'all, like being home with imagining, like, you know, like y'all imagining holding you, imagining being with, you know, being with wit and just imagining um, thinking about what I was going to do when I got home, how I was going to make things, you know, um, make up for it or how I was going to do things better. And and sometime after so many years, I would be like, you know what, I'm not staying in here no more. Now, how I was going to get out, I don't know. But what was driving me was, yeah, what do you mean? yeah like I just didn't You're care. I was like, I'm anymore. not staying in here. My, you know, my baby's going to be when he gets five years old. I'm getting out of here. How are you going to get out? I, I don't know. That's what I'm saying. I don't know. There was no way. That that was just my feeling of okay, this is what I'm striving for. When you, I'm getting out of here before you get five. I'm getting out of here before it gets 12. So it's like I would do these things to myself. I, you know, it makes no sense, really. But this is the things that I would do that's, sometimes that's in like my head. coping mechanisms. Yeah, and I would just, you know, and I would just thrive for that and strive for that. You know what? I'm, this is what I'm going to do. And I would just keep working, keep working, keep working, keep, you know, exercising, going and getting into things that I, anything that I could do to help me learn things, get a skill, whatever it was that was keeping my mind occupied. That was a lot. That was part of it. And trying to keep my mind after so many years off of home because it was nothing at that point I could do. It would just put anxiety on me. And like you, it would let me down sometimes. Yeah, that's I, how I it, felt. Would, it would let me down a lot of times. So at some point after so many decades, I had to stop even thinking about it. About y'all, I'm like, you know what? I was glad when y'all got grown. You was, was glad when we got grown? Yeah, I was. You know who else was glad when we got grown? <laughs> me. No, you. I bet you were, right? Because I didn't have to worry about relying on somebody yeah. else to do mm-hmm. things that I wanted for myself. Right. Yeah. When mm-hmm. I got my license and mm-hmm. there's also a thing about bitterness. And that's what I was saying that, you know, having spent so many years in prison away from people, that thing is mixed with bitterness too. I bet, you know, so, you know, the relationships that you would have had that you imagine you would have had, with your children, 
you know, and the effects of um, the sentence, because your children was also sentenced that way too, mm-hmm. to all those years. Our family, your sisters, you know, um, are all traumatized because of it. And we all, you know, that's what I said, the, the euphoria that you feel when you're finally free is tinged with that, uh, that bitterness also, that, mm-hmm. you know, you didn't have to spend that many years in prison or be in prison at all, away from your children, away from your loved ones and people yeah. that you've never seen again alive. Yeah. You know, so um, Sherry, Pooh, and Wit all suffers at that loss also, you know, and you just deal with it rather than try to go to the bitter side about it, you know, and just be hopeful that uh, those fences will mend too. When mom came home first, one of my friends came over the house and he, he and I were talking and we were talking, just casually talking. And I said, Rip, what year did this happen when we did so-and-so? Nah, Mike, that was back in 2000. Nah, Rip, that was back in 1990, so-and-so. And mom was looking like, <laughs> this This friend of mine has been, he's been a friend of mine since the 90s, right? And I remember mom commenting on it about how much it, it impacted her that I had a friend for over 20-something years that she knew nothing about Right. And I have a lot of friends like that. It like affected me when she was explaining to me how she felt about it. 40 years is a lifetime for some people. So, mom, what do you hope for from the people? I hope for the people who are really striving and trying to make an effort to do the right thing and realize mistakes that they've made if they feel like they have made mistakes and hope for the people who haven't done anything and who are truly are not guilty of whatever they were put in prison for, you know, for sure that they come home. It's a hope too that uh, that our people are a survive. Our do- my daughter, our daughters, you know, can hopefully get some healing and try to, you know, do what they need to do to help them heal, you know, and um, you know, to to be happy, to try to be happy. That's my hope for for wit and um and all the other people that um who have been victimized, wronged and it's particular close that's close to our family um you know so that's that's really heavy on on me and I'm I really really hope for that. Yeah and 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 like Russell and Sharon and mm-hmm. Teresa yep and they have other siblings and they have aunts and family and like I know they carry and have some of that bitterness you talk about. I hope they heal. A lot of a lot of talk about healing. Well, society is traumatized, man. Look at them. Just, you know, drive on the road, man. These folks are on a hair trigger, man. <laughs> They're on a hair trigger, you know. Uh, but anyway, getting back to, to Russell's, Russell, man. Russell and his family. Be around them for 10 minutes, man. They are some some of the kindest, most compassionate people you ever want to meet, man. 
Russell Maroon Schultz is one uh, person and his family that if you meet his family, you can see where he got his spirit from. Hmm. His sisters, his daughters, his sons are all like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you know, they all eat and drink from the same, you know, they. you can see that they go to the Ewa tree together mm-hmm. and partake and, you know, that humanity that they feel, that compassion they feel. And uh, like we had uh, this program a few weeks ago, you know, we, we were talking about that people who are activists do so out of love. You know, right. people call them violent, but they do what they do out of love. They're on the streets out of love. You know, they're angry about something that happened, you know, but they do so. They don't partic- particularly know that person, you know, but they know what they deserve. Mm-hmm. And they deserve humanity. They deserve justice. And, you know, these people speak out for it when these people can't speak out for it themselves. So, you know, and they're all really compassionate people. Yeah, they are. But before we close, I know it's getting close. I know what time it has is. been up. Okay, go ahead. But I also want to just say a little bit about my, because sometimes I tend to overlook my family, my relatives, you know, who I really want healing for them too. My sisters and, um, you know, Mike's family and people who have, when we came home, we, they were the ones that were there for us. They were the ones that were there for us. Of course, not to mention you, but and Robin, but you know, um, I mean, there was nothing that they that they couldn't and didn't want to do for us. And I, I'm hoping for their healing too, because they also have been through a lot. Like they've been through a lot. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, everyone gets this, man. Everyone needs to taste of this. You know, a taste of what this this this, this feeling that you know they get a. a on a home homecoming, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know that homecoming was so nice, so wonderful. After years of, you know, it's not like the hug you get when you're released. It's not the hug you get on a visit. Mm-hmm. You know, is different. You know, the feeling you get, vice versa. Yeah, yeah. So the voice is different over the phone, and everybody longs for that. Believe me. When you see, you know, guys who are, you know, we, this guy was wrongfully convicted. He stayed in jail for 27 years and you see him at home. I, I used to look at that, man. I said, you know what, man? I don't think I'd cry. You don't think you'd cry? I don't. The, man, you know, I, the emotion. Day, that day. See? <laughs> the Ren the, the and Stimpy bubble joints man. coming out your nose. That <laughs> was like a water faucet. See? <laughs> never, thought, never thought that would, you know, but. The emotions, man. The emotions that emanate from that. you, man. It is. Yeah. You know, I thought you were going to be more anxious to get out of the prison building. And I said, Dad, you ready to get out of here? You said, man, I want some more hugs, man. And I was thinking to myself, let's get out of here before they change their mind. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't, I, you know, you don't know how. Until I was in that situation, I was always like they were going to come and take it back. That's how I felt. You know, I'm, no, I mean, when the cell I was in before your release, I was in a parts of the building that I had never been in before. Uh-huh. I was in situations that I'd never been in before. The person that I went to see for the parole, and uh, I said, yeah, I've been going through this situation for 10 years. I said, I've never seen you. She said, you know why? Because this is where you get the good news. Hmm. 
Well, like you said, we could do this all day, but we can't do this all day because we got other stuff to do and people got other stuff to do. Welcome home, Maroon. Welcome, Welcome home, home, Maroon. Welcome home. Congratulations, Russell Schultz the third, and Sharon and Teresa and to all y'all family members. I'm so happy for y'all. <laughs> oh my God, we done stood shoulder to shoulder on these streets fighting for both our parents and like for so many years, brothers and sisters, I'm so happy for y'all and I can't wait to see y'all the next time I see y'all. I talk to y'all today, but I can't wait to see y'all and give y'all a hug, you know, and I can't wait to see your pop. If I get a chance to see your pop, you know what I'm saying? Um, and I can't wait to continue this work with y'all. Much love to y'all. Y'all know, y'all know, y'all already know. Peace, y'all. Y'all just take it all in. Take it all in. I'm so happy for y'all, man. I know wow. how that feels. I oh, know man. the feeling. All right. Um, and to the people out there, all of the supporters, Black Rat, Yane, uh, Gabe, Crystal, and Celine, and Ghani, and I ain't going to try to name everybody because that would be ridiculous, but I got to say somebody like Brett Grody and the Abolitionist Law Center and everybody that worked so hard to make sure that this thing happened. I thank y'all for it, and I love y'all for it. Thank y'all much. Thank you. Everybody that's listening out there. And, of course, Pam. Oh, my God. Pam is always in Pam. there, always uh, at the warrior top. Warrior woman, Pam. Um, <laughs> warrior one. And, you know, and to all of the people that's listening yeah. um, who like to hear the truth and who like to hear inspirational, the work that we do, and this is this is what we do it for. You know, um, thank y'all for listening. If you like what you heard, tell your friends. Help them get on the move with us. Make sure you're following the podcast so you never miss an episode. And we're going to be talking more about this because we got more to update you on. (laughs) So until next week, we'll see you on the other side. Peace out.